Welcome into season six of the Talking Ball Y'all podcast. Jeff and I are certainly glad that you've decided to join us once again on another episode of the Talking Ball Y'all podcast. Jeff and I had asked you three or four times, man, you sure this is season <laughs> six of this deal, but you've reassured me that it is. And um, we kind of do our seasons, you can tell the listeners, but we bust them out into like the spring and then the fall season so six man that's a mouthful yeah last year 2020 of course everybody knows it was kind of messed up to begin with uh the pandemic hit about middle of the spring uh actually clay uh last year so technically we just carried on season five all the way to the fall and then just mainly made it the whole 2020 year but yeah we're picking up season six uh here in the spring uh baseball's gotten underway so this uh this should be a good spring yeah, a lot going on, as you mentioned there, baseball, softball, basketball, track and field. So a ton a ton going on, and it's a lot of fun in the spring. Uh, of course, tonight we'll hear hear about softball. We'll talk some baseball, too. But just a fun time to be covering sports. And, Jeff, the podcast has certainly been blessed. We've been listening to over 50,000 times. And if you would have told me that at the start of this, <laughs> not that – uh, I didn't believe in, in what you and I could do and that uh, that we would have the Lord's favor. But, man, that's a bunch of listens. So um, try not to have uh, boastful pride, but I've got some pride in that, man. Yeah, and, and what's what's astonishing is, I mean, for us, uh, to just uh, Picayune boys here as we record out of Picayune, Mississippi. So just – what what's astonishing about that is when me and you talk about numbers, you know, over fifty thousand listens. But then you start looking and breaking it down, like I do sometimes, uh, cities of where we were listening, and even countries of where we were listening to, because the World Wide Web reaches everywhere. So it's just amazing the different cities uh, and the countries uh, that this podcast has reached. Yeah, so we want to thank our listeners uh, first and foremost, our guests and our sponsors. Some of these sponsors. Uh, that you'll hear from in the spring season have been season six spring season have been with us since season one and that's certainly not lost on us but uh, that's enough of that Jeff Um, we'll take a moment now to hear from some of those sponsors that we mentioned and when we come back we'll give you the interview layout for tonight's episode. Eli and China Oder pride themselves on the way that they serve their customers With that being said, they have recently formed the Magnolia Insurance Services to take care of all your business, trucking, property, and vehicle insurance needs. Please call 601-590-3676. That number again is 601-590-3676 for any of your insurance needs here in Pearl River County. Are you an avid gym enthusiast, a part-timer, or just a brand new beginner? Well, CrossFit 534 is the place for you. CrossFit 534 is an encouraging group training facility located at 104 West Magnolia Street in downtown Poplarville. Their mission is to create a stronger version both physically and mentally of you when life outside the gym demands it. They have coach-led classes to accommodate all schedules from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. Once again, that's CrossFit 534 in downtown Poplarville. Check them out on Facebook at CrossFit 534. Kaylin Ladner joining the podcast now, the junior 
Southern Miss softball pitcher for the Golden Eagles. Thank you, Kaylin, for taking time for the podcast. Thank you so much for this opportunity. Kaylin, let's look back um, about 10 days ago when you had a record-setting performance against uh, Southern University with 17 strikeouts on that evening. Just kind of describe to us um, how that unfolded from warm-ups. Did you feel anything special uh, that night or even waking up that morning as you went throughout your day? Did you kind of know you would have that kind of stuff that night? Absolutely. So I'm going to take it back even further because it's been kind of a long journey up to that point. Um, You know, over a year ago, I stepped off of a bus and my season was done. And I spent a lot of time with not only myself, but the Lord. And I really just was at a point where I was like, I have, I'm a junior this year in college and I have not reached any of my goals that I have just set for myself. And it's literally almost over in a blink of an eye. So going into the season, I just told myself I will not take a second on that field for granted. I will not take a rep off, um, nothing. I'm going to be there 110% every single day and just make the most of it because I never know whenever it's gone. So going into that night, um, I was focusing on some self goals that I had set for myself, and I had beat my single game strikeout um, against Nichols that Friday. Um, I originally had seven strikeouts in one game, and I got 11 that night. So going in against Southern, I was like, I'm going to beat 11. Well, sure enough, I'm going into that last inning, and I was aware that I had 15 strikeouts, and I knew that I was in a position to be a record holder, and I was more determined than ever. Um, I was That was kind of my train of thought going into that. Yeah, just an awesome performance. It's cool when you see a performance like that to kind of go back through and look at the box score. You struck out their leadoff hitter four times, and something interesting, everybody in the lineup uh, for Southern that night, you got at least one. It's pretty cool stuff, huh? That's awesome. That's awesome. I, see, I didn't even realize that. So whenever you break it down like that, that's pretty awesome. Yeah, neat stuff. And the Golden Eagles off to 11-5 and five start. So it's been a good 2020 20, one year so far what do you expect moving forward the schedule is going to be uh, tough through the remainder of this month and then you get into conference play kind of give our listeners a preview of what you've seen so far and then a preview of conference play for this golden eagle club absolutely so it's been a while since we've been on the field together and i mean the work was put in um has been put in and it's still being put in. I think moving forward every single game, you know, we really tell ourselves we need to set a standard for our team um, and play Southern Miss softball, and it doesn't really matter who we play um, going in with that kind of mentality. But I think what's really also important is that we each game that we play, we take at least one thing from it and move forward and grow from it because that will um, help us get our end results of a conference championship. So just taking it one game at a time and – growing in areas that we need to grow from and learning because the season is very long and it's an up up and downhill roller coaster. So just taking the positives and negatives and looking at that as a good thing. It's a learning process. Yeah, when you look at the schedule, we played at LSU last night. Now you go on the plains of Auburn for their, their tournament. So kind of in the teeth of this tough non-conference schedule, and, and you've talked about 
the learning experiences just watching uh, your Twitter page. You know, you've got the, the performance that we've talked about pinned up high there, but then right up underneath it, you talked about the performance last night and how baseball, softball, a, a humbling game. And so I thought that was really kind of cool of you on your own uh, Twitter account to, to kind of speak to a performance that you can learn from last night. Absolutely. So, you know, everybody could say I was on cloud nine 10 days ago, but last night I was not on cloud nine. And I think coming from like my perspective, I don't want to just share the good because like I said, the season is a roller coaster. And so it's very important to kind of reflect on those things and not necessarily, it's not going to affect my confidence, but moving forward, I know that I need to be better in certain areas, whether that's a, um, a team leader, um, sharpening up pitches, things like that. So I just wanted to be very open and share not only the good things, but the bad too, you know, just because those kind of messages can reach people and impact more than myself. You know, at the end of the day, it's, it's not about me. It's about the community, my teammates, just everyone that's involved. So. Kaylin on the year five and one, a little over one run ERA. And so, Great stuff. Let's talk about your stuff. Um, describe to our listeners when you're on and when you know you have that A game, uh, what's working for you pitch-wise? Absolutely. So I think preparation for me is key. Preparation gives me the confidence that I need to go out there and just know that nobody is going to hit off of me or score off of me. Um, and kind of my best stuff is looking like I'm super loose out there. And, um, I think that that's important. Like I said, the work has been put in. I can't tell you how many pitches I've thrown my, in my entire life. Um, but going out there, you know, I do move the ball corner to corner up down and, um, my changeup has been super effective for me in college. So I think based on my successful performances, I have those pitches that I can just rotate in and just really keep the hitters off balance. Um, but it really comes down to a pitcher's mentality. I do believe that because if I'm hesitant throwing a pitch, a pitch, then a hitter has a chance to um, have one step in the one foot in the door against me. So I think it's important to, you know, set the standard out there and just um, have the right mentality and trust my stuff that I'm throwing. So much of pitching and I guess hitting on the other side is a guessing game or trying to keep them off balance. You mentioned a changeup. That's a pitch that you can throw in any any count, I imagine. Absolutely. I It's almost like, you know, some people are like, well, you throw changeup on three balls a lot. And from a pitcher's standpoint, I practice it. And so every pitch that I throw in practice, I have that self-applied pressure. So, therefore, I'm prepared in the game to do that. You know, I'm wanting my coach to call a changeup, and I'm confident that they can't hit it or that they won't hit it. So I think it's really important. Kaylin, you kind of went back through the journey over the past year leading up uh, to that record-setting performance. Let's talk about your journey to get to Southern Miss. You prepped at Hancock. We record this podcast out of Picayune, Mississippi here um, along the Mississippi Gulf Coast, kind of in between um, Hattiesburg and um, Hancock County. Describe to us what those playing days were like at Hancock, any special mentors or, or coaches along the way that you'd like to mention? Absolutely. So I was actually born in Picayune, so that's very interesting. Um, and I am from Kill, Mississippi. I've lived there for the rest of my life. Um, 
And I think for me growing up in the Killers, you know, it's a small town and we don't, we didn't always have the best facilities, but we made it work. Um, my dad was absolutely, he was a bucket dad, but you know, looking back, he was my mentor. He saw things in me that I didn't see in myself. And he asked me many days, you know, what, what do you want to do with this? And I told him, I want to be a collegiate athlete. I want to be a pitcher in college. And my, once I told my dad that he did whatever he had to do to hold me to that standard. Um, you know, but outside of that, it takes a village. I got to, um, pitch for Hancock high school and I had several people, um, a part of the journey, you know, several teammates that I don't play with now that were a part of it, just encouraging me, um, in a community as a whole, um, I have received the most love and support, um, than I could ever imagine. And that truly shows how I got here. It's really the love and support that so many, um, give me and just motivate me, you know, and I really do believe it's not always where you're from. Um, if you have a passion and you pursue it and you wake up every single day, um, being the best best version of yourself, there will be opportunities along the way. And I'm more than grateful that Southern Miss was my opportunity. Um, but yeah. Yeah, cool stuff, Kaylin. Continued success there. Of course, we'll be pulling for you and the Golden Eagles. And so um, just keep up the great work. Thank you again for your time. Thank you so much for having me. I really do appreciate it. Hey everybody, have you heard about the new restaurant in town, Creekside Coffee Cafe? Stop by and get a cup of your favorite coffee, made by one of our great baristas, and have some of our yummy breakfast, lunch or dinner, pancakes, the bacon and eggs, the hamburgers, spaghetti and meatballs, bag and cheese, breadfish tacos, and so much more. Don't forget the brownie alamo. Check us out on Facebook, order online, stop by the drive-thru, or come on in and stay well. That's Creekside Coffee Cafe. We'll make you happy. Did you know the number one GM volume dealership of all of 2020 was here in Little Picayune, Mississippi? No, it wasn't in Jackson, Hattiesburg, or the bustling Gulf Coast. It was at Mossy of Picayune. That's right, Mossy of Picayune. Car buyers are driving hours for a great price and a great customer buying experience. At Mossy, you can shop, drive, and compare Chevy, Cadillac, Buick, and GMC all in one location. If a certified or pre-owned vehicle is what you're looking for, Mossy has a huge selection of trades and all fleece vehicles to choose from. You can see their entire lineup with pictures, prices, and hundreds of vehicles at MossySuperstore.com. That's MossySuperstore.com. Come in today and see why Mossy of Picune sells so many vehicles or call the management team, Frank Bonanno, Keith Henry, or Roy Penton at 601-798-7575 to schedule your appointment today. We are honored now to be joined by Sarah Thomas on the podcast. Sarah, thank you for letting us steal some of your time. Hey, I appreciate it, Clay. Thank you for being so flexible with my time. Sarah, let's uh, let's start uh, recently. How cool was it to call the Super Bowl and and to be involved and to be on on that stage? What was that like? It's everything that you could possibly imagine, even as a fan um, of that game. But you know, we as officials, we. We prepare for every Sunday like it's a Super Bowl. So once that game got kicked off, it was another football game, and we just wanted to do our 
our job that we ranked out number one at our position that they, they needed us to do. So, Sarah, take our listeners kind of there. You you mentioned the ranking. I was going to uh, say grading, but how? tell us what that looks like through the regular season when that grade's received and, and what that grade's based on. Yeah, so we are graded. Every play in the NFL is graded and looked at. And so if we throw um, the flag and we penalize, they go back and look at that. And you want to have all correct calls, right? That's what we want. But, of course, there's times where we may get dinged with an incorrect call, that there just wasn't enough restriction for offensive holding that we threw or something of that nature. And you want to stay away from the incorrect calls because to, to make it simple, you start with 100. And you don't necessarily get any of those out of girls or out of boys, but if you get a, a ding that we call them, then it's a minus two to a minus six. And you want to stay away from this. And in the NFL, the percentage of the person that ranks number one to the person that ranks number two is so small. Um, but yeah, so we're graded all throughout the year, and that determines your, your playoff standings and plus the big test that we take. Um, in July every year, that also helps with your ranking. So, Sarah, is it fair to say working with different crews from week to week, um, the camaraderie, how do you build that inside of a game? Or I mean, I, I would say it's probably kind of a team sport, what y'all are doing on Sundays and especially trying to all be on the same page in the Super Bowl. So how does that look? Yeah, so during the season, of course, the 2020 season was a little different because of COVID. They tried to keep us more regional based. And so there was a lot of guys from this area um, that we were all um, on one crew. Our white hat, Sean Hockley, of course, he's in the LA area. So he was the one that had to trek almost every Sunday. So that is, that's great because you do build the chemistry off the field that carries it on the field. And then you just kind of, you, we're, we just work together, you know, all right, well, I can go talk to him or she, he can come talk to me, whatever. But, um, yeah, that, that's irreplaceable. The thing with the Super Bowl and the playoffs, you're not the same crew. Even though I worked the divisional this past year with Sean Hockley. Um, but the, the, the playoff crews are chosen by their grade and their rank. But when you make it to that, you know that everybody that's working on the field with you is capable and the respect is there. And so that chemistry and camaraderie just automatically happens. You mentioned the word respect there at the end. As the down judge, you're close uh, to the coaches. Kind of describe to our listeners how that conversations uh, may go if they're not in favor uh, of your most recent work there closest to them and, um, how that's different both high school, college, and in the NFL as you've worked your way up the ranks, um, the way that that may change those conversations. Sure. You know, everybody is going to express their uh, opinion whenever they don't believe it's in their favor. So that really is uh, the same all the way across the board. If they're upset about something, they're going to express it. but, you know, when you get to the, the NFL level and, and, of course, the collegiate level, those coaches, they, they know the rules. They, they um, meet with us at training camps and mini camps and discuss 
what we're looking at. They know areas that we're looking at. They know the percentage of calls we make versus the ones that we don't make. Uh, they, they've got those percentages. So they do scout us too. But being in the heat of the moment on the sideline in the NFL, they, they express what they have to express. Then they know they've got to go on and coach the next down. They may come back and revisit it. And, of course, I will, I will discuss it with them because the number one form of rejection is ignoring someone. So mm. I don't want to ever ignore them. But it's, it's more professional than what a lot of people think it is. Of course, there are some other coaches that are a little more colorful um, mm. and a lot of body language. But, you know, that's just, that's just who they are. And, and I would rather them shoot me straight than not, if you will. Yeah, how did your playing um, days, softball and basketball, kind of prepare you for the other side of it? I'm sure you've had uh, a call go against you in, in one of those two sports that you maybe didn't agree with. And so being competitive on the other side, does that kind of help you um, maybe have empathy towards the participants? I'm going to tell you, the reason I think a huge part of me falling in love with officiating the game of football. Yep, when I played, I tell everybody I hated the officials. Like, I see you out here. You don't have to blow the whistle every time I go up to block the shot. <laughs> um, so, and truth be told, they probably hated me. But when I got involved in Pascagoula there with officiating, I was so intrigued that these guys took pride in what they did. It, it, none of them made me feel like it was all about them. And so it was a way that I could give back to sports and, and the game of football in a way to where if any official thought that my game was lesser than another one that they officiated, it would upset me. So working the TV level, the high school level, D1, whatever it is, I've always had that mindset that let these guys go out here and play. The coaches, let them coach. And we're just here to administer athletic justice and if they get out of line, we'll we'll uh, we'll throw the flag, and and then there's sometimes where we may give them a little grace, a little warning here or there when it's not too egregious, and um, we just let them let them play. But that's why I fell in love with it because I could give back. Sarah, what in your upbringing or, or background made you think you could do what you did here, being the first female official in the NFL starting back in 2015? As we've already mentioned. Um, ranking high enough to call the Super Bowl. I mean, I've got a six-year-old daughter. If if we were having this conversation, not all that long ago, this you know this dream and and what she can see become a reality, and you wouldn't exist. So, what in your background empowered you, gave you the confidence to go after this? I'm gonna tell you. It goes back to my upbringing there in Pascagoula, if it hadn't been for my parents and the community that we were with, and, um, my parents just never said because I was a girl I couldn't do something. Hmm. Um, I was, you know, I've got an older brother and a younger brother. We all are officiating now that they never said you can't come because you're a girl or made me feel lesser than because I was a girl. So I was just brought up that way. And my dad always told me never to depend on a man for anything. So I'm, I'm always been pretty independent, but yeah, my background and just Pascagoula and the, the blue collar community it is, there's a lot of grit and hard determined people in Pascagoula and I was fortunate to grow up in that city and I believe that's truly what has allowed me to walk into a room full of men. I didn't know that there weren't any females, but 
it allowed me to walk in there with confidence, if you will, and not think, oh, well, I'm a girl and I can't do this. You know, it just never, never crossed my mind. And I did not know that there weren't any women that were not officiating football. So I just, I, I, I go back to my, my upbringing. When you mention your older brother, younger brother, and family, so is it fair game if they see a, a call that you either missed or made? Do you get some uh, family love on stuff like that, or is that off limits? Yeah, they'll, um, well, now that my older brother and Papa she would say, when, when they were both at the high school level, my younger brother, Scott, he, he officiates in the Junior College Association here in Mississippi, but when you're in high school and you would see something, they would challenge. They would, they would say something about it. And, well, why not that official or why did this happen? But then now that they've gotten into uh, the level of officiating where replay is involved hmm. or there is recordings of their game, it's a dose of humble pie real quick. <laughs> you go, all right. So if I miss something, we really talk about mechanics mechanically like why I missed it um instead of well gosh how did she miss that so but but also there's the support of well we know she's not perfect the guys have made those mistakes so yeah that's that's how we balance it all and so part of the responsibility for a down judge and correct me if I'm wrong are the chain gang or the the chain crew is, is that right Sarah that's right I've got the chain crew so tell me, I mean, I'm used to calling football games on, on Friday nights here in the state of Mississippi and then on the junior college ranks. And, and watching that and being associated with that, sometimes that can be an adventure in itself. So how has that changed as, you, as you've worked your way up the ranks? Um, you know, when I first started, I was a line judge, so I didn't have the primary responsibility of the chain crew. But now that I'm a down judge, I do. And... I truly believe it was great when they changed things to down judge, formerly known as head linesman, because now it's, there's so much going on on the field and during any kind of dead ball period, me having to change there kept me so engaged. I talked to them, hey, is there anything uh, that you're noticing? Or, you know, don't move unless I tell you to move. Are we set? So, I mean, it just kept me more engaged because you can't ever have a lapse in your mental capacity in the game of football. And so the, um, the chain crew, they're, they're all professionals at this level. They kind of had to work overtime uh, this, this past season because typically there's uh, probably about six or seven guys on the primary chain crew side. This year there's only three. So, yeah, my hat goes off to them because they really can help us out and they really can make us look bad. So, Sarah, just like any, I guess, event, maybe you have a favorite spot or a favorite part of the crew, do you favor uh, any particular um, officiating spot or role? Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm quite content with line of scrimmage. That's where all the action is, before the snap, during the play, uh, to the, the play develops and uh, dead ball officiating. So I, I love the line of scrimmage. It's just where everything's happening. Sarah, when you look at the, the future of officiating, you mentioned replay. What's next? I mean, you, you, I hear uh, chips and balls to make sure that we're that the spot's right on. What do you see? What What's the next um, innovation in officiating? Gosh, I don't know. Maybe a chip in the ball or whatever. You know, just to help with 
those tough goal line plays that replay can't overturn. And, of course, the naked eye on being human when you're out there on the field, you rule with speed. Maybe that maybe that's the next step um, because they're putting in more and more cameras. There's cameras in pylons, goalposts. Uh, now there's cameras um, at the line of scrimmage. They started testing that, I believe, this year. The line of scrimmage and the line to gain. So that's the only thing I can think of. But, you know, Clay, that's way above my pay grade. I'll leave that <laughs> up to the, the guys that are experts in that field. How surreal was it, uh, Sarah, for most of the season to, to call the game at its highest level with so few uh, fans in attendance, if any? Clay, they did a real nice job with um, funneling in the crowd noise. But honestly and truly, my first game in Atlanta this past season, went through the whole first half, walking off the field for halftime, and that's when I noticed there weren't any fans. Nobody was booing us or saying things to us or heckling us. So we're so laser-focused while we're out there. You know, you'll hear the, the wars of, you know, a touchdown or booze if they don't like what they what we called or we missed or whatever. So really and truly, it, it didn't really make a difference to me and, and the crews that I've worked with as far as not having any fans there. Sarah, I can't thank you enough for the time that you've spent. When preparing for interviews, it's always kind of a, a family subject. And my, my wife teaches kindergarten here in the state of Mississippi, and my son and her were able to give me as much background on you as I could I find. That. That's one of their subjects is, is studying Mississippi and, and the people that have broken ground in special places. So uh, I thank you for your time. Thank you for what you've done. Yeah, thanks, Clay. And tell those kids to always love on their mama and respect everything that is happening in front of them right now. Thank you, Sarah. Yep. Thank you, Clay.